And that's the first track, which is the choice of our guest presenter. You know how it works. They choose the music, they choose the guests, and we have a great conversation. The song Kwani Experience. Well, I don't even know if they're still around anymore with uh, the track Chabarops. And our guest today is Dr. Luyanda Mpaltwa. Cape Town-based architect, he's also an urban designer. He obtained his master's in architecture at the Technical University of Berlin, and he's the director of Design Space Africa, which was an architectural and design firm he founded in 2009. His architectural education in South Africa was interrupted when he was incarcerated on Robben Island Prison in 1981. And after five years prison term in 1986, he went into exile in Germany, where he spent 15 years in Berlin. He's back. He's been back a long time now, and he's been involved in a diversity of stories in the Western Cape when it comes to design, when it comes to architecture, and not just the Western Cape, but uh, the country as well. Dr. Mpatwa, thank you so much for joining us as the guest presenter. Yes, uh, good morning, good morning, Michelle, and good morning to the listeners. I hope I'm audible. We hope you're audible as well. Who knows with the lines at the moment? It all feels a little like a touch and go, so let's just see how it works. Luyanda, we always like to find out how people choose their songs. I mean, you had a diverse selection of music for us to choose from, and I'm always interested in what people are listening to, why they're listening to what they listen to. So let's start with the Kwani experience. <laughs> yeah, well, Michelle, um, I'm, I'm a hobby DJ, so I collect music um, of all sorts. Yeah. Um, so I came across Kwani experience uh, some years ago. Yeah. And I found them as a group of young musicians coming up with something very interesting. I mean, if you listen and you understand or analyze the song Chabarops, I mean, it's a mixture of reggae, it's a mixture of hip-hop, there are some jazzy beats in there because they are very musical. Um, But then, I mean, the the, the song and and the street lingo that they use, that fuses a bit of Africans and a little bit of language, whether you call it Soweto slang, yeah. um, it just interested me. And, and I think when you then listen to the lyrics, um, you know, you can't stand in the corner. Um, life is better than fuck all. Yeah. Um, it's it just like, you know, for me, music is something that even influences me as, as I think as an architect, because in a lot of the songs or in a lot of the books, there's a lot of description about life, and, and architecture is about understanding how people live, where they live, and what they experience. I love uh, how you describe uh, Kwani experience, but also in relation to architecture. And I think that in many ways, you know, with the thing with Kwani experience, it was always difficult to put them in a box or to say, okay, they are this type of music, or to categorize them as that. And perhaps in many ways, that's how we should be thinking about architecture as well in terms of the diversity of community? No, absolutely. I mean, these are young people. Um, and and if, if you think about what Africans means to, to many of us, mm. uh, it was a language of, express, of, of oppression. But they are using it in an expressive way to just describe how life is. Yeah. And and I think for me, you know, South Africa is that kind of diverse melting pot of different cultures. 
and um, and they express it very well musically. Um, and and indeed, um, we should be looking at life at ourselves, um, at architecture from that perspective as well. I, I fully agree. Leander, what you're saying about Afrikaans is so interesting. Last week we had, and she only, she she was on very briefly. She was on as a guest of someone else, uh, Lady Scully, and. She hails, uh, as far as I know, originally from the Western Cape, but she she was talking so much around what language and Afrikaans meant for her. I mean, for her, it is an indigenous language, and she was very powerful in the conversation that she engaged with. And I, I, I'd like to talk to you about that idea of, and I suppose this comes out of your book as well, this idea of identity politics and how we have these encounters with diversity, but how we also sometimes so afraid to get outside of what we are. So we have someone like yourself who says, you know, we have a history where Afrikaans obviously has a very specific tone, if one wants to look at it like that, and a, and a very specific history. Then we have someone like Lady Scully. And the question of how we, how we engage those diverse conversations and, and, and pull them together, but also ensure that they they are understood because of their own history, if you know what I mean. Well, I think, Michelle, um, you know, the the book, uh, Get Out of Your Mind, um, essentially is is really about us getting out of our comfort zones and, Mm. and just thinking and reflecting about ourselves, about our lives. Um, And, and, I mean, the the whole reference to, to Afrikaans um, is is both a divisive and a unifying one at mm, the same time. Exactly. And and I I experienced this myself because I did my matric in 1976 during the Soweto uprisings. But obviously, sitting in Umtata, uh, we didn't have that sense of the the the, the political repression um, that was experienced in 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 the rest of of the country. Remember, <laughs> I was living in an independent homeland called Transkei. Mm. Um, Anyway, um, but you know that one of the key issues around the Soweto uprising was the rejection of the introduction of Africa as a medium of instruction. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the youth of the time said that enough is enough now. We, we can't now even be forced to, to learn mathematics, physics, and Africans and all these things. It just cannot work. But when I got arrested... Um, uh, in, uh, in, in 1981 and found myself on Robben Island, uh, Africans became, for me, a, a liberator because I, I was able to perfect my Africans on Robben Island and was able to communicate with the authorities and, and actually get to understand their way of thinking. Yeah. And that enabled me to, 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 to work as 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 um, a, a, a postman for 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 the fellow prisoners. So, so I mean, Luanda, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, so, sorry. sorry. No, we 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 had a problem there. Apologies, Luanda. Oh, I see. Okay. Luanda. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you were saying. Um, you were you were saying. Let's go back to you. Yeah, yeah. I was saying it, it becomes a language of oppression on the one hand, but also um, a, a, a language that kind of 
is a unifier because when I got to Robben Island, having rejected Africans, um, I was able to perfect my Africans um, on Robben Island and was able to communicate with the authorities to a point where I became a translator. I got to understand the mindset of, of the warders. And I ended up working as a postman, collecting posts for, for my fellow inmates. Um, and, 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 and then, you know, you, you then realize that life is not one-sided. You know, it has it got multiple facets. So we're going to talk about your book in a short while, which uh, is an, an extraordinary, um, as, as the Silma Dorda Fikeni calls it, an extraordinary meditation. And I thought that was a very powerful word to, to describe it. The book is called Get Out of Your Mind, and it's written by Luyanda Mpatwa and Klaus Doppler, and it's Lessons on Embracing Difference from South Africa and Beyond. We're going to get to, to that in a moment because it really does engage with the concept of change and how we use it which uh, you are able to describe in, in that last story. But take us to your time after Berlin, after Robben Island, that when you went to Berlin, and that really is a conversation around different identities and having to understand and learn, A, via language, which is what you've just been talking about as well, but also, B, B via culture and those differences. Yes. Um, it was a, a, quite an interesting experience for me. Um, I mean, I left for Germany three months after being released, and, and indeed I had to learn the language first. Um, and, and what was interesting, again, coming back to Afrikaans, when I was learning German, I had to forget Afrikaans because I realized that there are two very different languages, even yeah. though one would suggest they are similar. So yeah. I had to forget it and then learn German afresh and learn it as a language of its own. And through that, um, and the way they taught it, was to actually make me understand how the German culture works and how people communicate and how, through the language, I was able to understand the culture of, of, of the German people. Um, and their lifestyles and, and their choices. And, I mean, a lot of people say Germany is unromantic and everything. Um, but at the same time, Germany has got its own ways of expressing things that you can't even find in English. Yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore, you, you understand the complexity of the people and the culture just through the language. And that was quite a defining moment because then I started appreciating my own language is a course, which unfortunately, I mean, is not as developed to, to be able to be, you know, um, used um, in, in, a, in, a, in a professional way. I mean, I work with communities and townships and I've had to learn how to speak uh, architectural language in Mr. Corsa uh, in order for the people to understand me. Yep. And, and this has been liberating stuff. Okay, we're going to go to a break. We're talking to Dr. Luyanda Mpatwa. He is a Cape Town-based architect and urban designer. He has done some extraordinary work cross-sectorally around the country. And he's also the author of a wonderful book called Get Out of Your Mind, Lessons on Embracing Difference from South Africa and Beyond. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk to his guests. And we'll play another one of his tracks. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. It's 9.21, you are with SAFM and this is Jet at Breakfast. How's it? I'm Michelle Constant. 
And you are welcome to connect with our guest either on SMS, WhatsApp, or even Twitter, or the old-fashioned route on our phone line as well. Dr. Luyanda Mpahwa is our guest today. He is the director of Design Space Africa, an architectural and design firm. But we're talking, how interesting, hey? we're talking about language with an architect, and that makes actually a lot of sense when you think about it. You know, Luyanda, and I hope you don't mind me calling you Luyanda and not Dr. Mpahwa, not at all, not at all. Please, Michelle. You know, <laughs> I'm um, comfortable, more comfortable. Like <laughs> good. What you were saying about Isikosa and uh, the, the, the challenge that, that makes me worry about how we think about languages is that there are certain languages, German could be one of them, they, I mean, English could be another, that become languages of transaction. But what it means is that the words that can't be translated often get lost in the conversation. And sometimes those words that can't be translated have as much impact and meaning as those that can be. And what I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking is as an architect, if you have to go and try and describe something to people, part of what you're describing is not just the building, but it's the, it's the community, it's the feeling, it's the emotion, it's the soul. Well, Michelle, I'd, I'd like to elaborate on this. Um, my approach to architecture in general is, is really never just about the building. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've associated myself and, and have crafted my work in the context of the, the, the social impact of architecture or uh, the social dimension of architecture, which involves people and understanding people. Yes. And if you cannot communicate with the people that you are building for, you cannot build for them. Yeah. That's my that's my uh, assertion. So um, in in working in the communities, because that's part of the work that I do, um, I'm currently working on an informal settlement upgrading uh, project in Philippi Township. Most of the people there come from the Eastern Cape. Um, they, they they work in Cape Town in various roles, and the best way to speak to them is in Isiklosa. So yeah. when we go to speak as professionals, there has to be a translator, and and I found the translator is not understanding exactly what I'm saying. So I said, okay, I'm going to speak in English so that my colleagues understand and hear and the department officials, but I'm going to translate my own, um, uh, you know, discussion to the people in Isikosa. And you have no idea the impact that has on people mm. being spoken to directly and being able then to speak freely back. And I understand and, and I would then, you know, translate it from an architectural perspective. This is something that I think we are missing that, Absolutely. yes, we, we, we have to use English as a, as a, as a medium of transaction and, and, and instruction. But we are failing sometimes to reach the people in their most comfortable medium of expression. Yeah. You know, I mean, you talk a lot about, and in the book you talk about it as well, is this idea of um, a future that requires a spatial inclusivity. But as you say, this, this, this includes rethinking not just where we build, but how we build and what we build and who's engaging in that building. And I wonder if you could describe the 10 by 10 project, because that seems to be so much about that kind of thinking. Yes. Um, 
I think I would never write a book and not be able to have some case studies that are real. <laughs> and, I, and I love the case studies, actually. <laughs> um, and, and the 10 by 10 project, which I'm pretty sure you, you, you have a good understanding of, uh, you know, having been initiated by the design and over here in Cape Town, the conference of design that uh, Rabbi Naidu hosts every year. Um, and he invited 10 architects um, to kind of, you know, use design to to design a low-cost house. And that's how this project started. This is 2007. And the brief was very simple. Use the subsidy amount as a budget, which at the time, I mean, it's laughable now. At the time, it was around 50,000, 60,000 rand per per unit. Uh, That is per per RGP house, so to speak. So we're given that brief, and, and I thought, Instead of just using the conventional means, why don't I try? In fact, it was through research and talking to friends, and and one of my friends had had, um, uh, uh, interestingly, a German lady had heard about sandbank construction in 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 the you know um, uh, coastal areas of of the Western Cape. So I started doing research about this, and I found this very interesting. Um, and, and Martina, this friend of mine, always says I must credit her always, and I always do, because, <laughs> you know, as architects, you, you engage with people, you talk, you hear things. So I started doing my own research, and I found that Sandbags um, is actually quite an ancient building system that has been used over a long time. I mean, building with Earth in Africa is is, is, is just a given. So, But we did a modern interpretation of it. Um, and, and found that the product is actually being, um, uh, you know, produced um, by a retired engineer who used to be he's a Zimbabwean originally. And he developed this system when he was in the army during the Zimbabwe war. Um, but then, you know... So, so just he, for clarity, Luanda, just for clarity for our listeners, we're talking about sandbag construction. Um, yes. We're talking about sandbags, which are filled with sand and then almost used as bricks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so basically, the sandbag construction is a combination of sandbags or bags which are filled with sand, and a timber frame structure which provides provides the structural integrity of the whole thing. Yeah. So that you have a frame. And then just like you do with brick when you build sometimes with concrete, you do yeah. a concrete frame and you fill it with bricks. Yeah. In this case, it was a timber frame filled with bags. And are those and, bags, and what are those bags made out of? Are they just normal old sand bags or are they made of a, of a sort of strong fabric, whatever? It's a, it's a fabric that was, uh, it's basically a nylon um, okay. fabric, yeah. which is very recyclable itself. Yeah. And it was produced um, by um, a factory of, of, of women in Durban um, and, you know, using textiles that were, you know, found suitable for this. And these bags are very small, 300 by 350, so that everyone can carry them. Um, and, and that's how this came about. And, and, and part of the thinking was that we, we need to think about how to improve the thermal performance of buildings. Yeah. And thermal performance is about how does your wall mitigate between the external and internal experience. We've yeah. got a hot weather, which is very hot. So if you look at the mud building, yeah. uh, those who come from the Eastern Cape know that when yeah. you get into a mud hut, it's the coolest building you can ever find. 
without air conditioning. So okay. it was an analogy of saying, let us take that science that is in the in the in the Rondavo, yeah, um, and use it in a modern, in a way. contemporary way. Yes, yeah. and 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 I think the ten by ten project, in fact, is the reason why. I can say, as an architect, I became international because that project, I mean, was published everywhere in the world. And and unfortunately, it has not taken off in South Africa because it was not uh, an SADS-approved building system. So, you know, we still have this thing that we, 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 we rely on the tried and tested, but we are not ready to do further research and development in terms of saying, what local materials are available that we can use in our buildings so and that, that we su- make buildings cheaper? And that are sustainable as well, because that's a yes. huge issue as well. I mean, concrete, the cost of concrete is one thing, but what concrete does for our environment is absolutely yes. shocking. Yes, yeah. so, so we are talking about, you know, reducing the carbon footprint, but we're not saying how. We, we're still continuing to use the materials and, and systems that are, are, are increasing the carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, I don't even want to talk about how we supply energy um, yeah. using, you know, materials and, and natural resources that we know. Luyanda, we have to just leave you for a moment to go to sport, but we're chatting to Dr. Luyanda Mpalwa. And uh, go and look up the 10 by 10 story uh, project and look at the photos as well. It's, it's an amazing series of photos of how everybody got involved filling the bags with sand. It's just just brilliant. I, I do think it's amazing. 9.31, Zai Zai Gabor is in. She hails from Benin. She spends a lot of her time in France as well. Anjali Kidjo and Iche Kuche. And that... Uh, is the choice of our guest presenter, Dr. Luyanda Mpapwa. It's a nice second choice, sir. What's the deal? Well, um, uh, as, as, as someone who lived outside South Africa and um, got actually more exposed to Africans from the rest of the continent when I was in Germany, I actually started appreciating how they were all actually looking up to South Africa. Yeah. Um, and if you know, um, Angelique Kijo has recorded here in Johannesburg with our musicians um, and, and even used praise singing um, Zolani Mkiva, um, on, uh, Mkiva on, on, on one of her songs. Mm. And, and, and that kind of gave me a sense that we, we should be embracing the continent more than we actually do Um, and and if you look at most of the musicians i mean even the big ones of today Bernard boy um they have recorded here and and they work here so so i developed a new sense of appreciation of just how african music is i mean this song i chose because the rhythm is not benin if you if you listen to it properly um, it is an international song, but you can't mistake the fact that it's Angelique and, mm. and, and she has interpreted her own culture in a kind of inter- international style to make it accessible. There are other songs which are very much Benin. So I, I like this fusion of cultures. Um, yeah. and, and I think she's representative of that. You'll hear her playing with musicians from Brazil, for example. There's, a, there's a, a, an album she did um, with, with Bahia musicians. So 
for me, I mean, this is how the world is and this is how the world should be. I must say, I'm just thinking about Angelique Kidron. We are going a bit off course here. But <laughs> I'm trying to remember, what was that fantastic Jimi Hendrix tr- cover that she did again? Um, um, oh, I, I, would, yeah, I wouldn't remember. I mean, I've got four or five albums of hers. I oh, wouldn't remember specifically that I'm one. Gonna I'm have to. I'm going to have to look it up. But it, I always thought, man, she took it, turned it on its head. And just, it was so fantastic. So I've, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for for, for people who, who make um, covers their own and do do incredible things and give covers a whole a song a whole new life and a whole new Absolutely. world. Absolutely, yeah. So we're going to go to your first guest, uh, Don Edkins. He's a film producer and he's currently doing uh, very interesting work, I understand, on the impact of COVID on communities. Why are we going okay. to be chatting to Don? Tell us about him. I must tell you about Don. Yeah. Oh, Don is, is an incredible um, South African film producer. Um, he runs an organization called Steps. And we've met on international platforms. I mean, I, as I said, I'm a hobby DJ. So I used to DJ at a festival in Wurzburg in Germany. Um, and I met Don, Don there for the first time. And, and this festival had a lot about it was called the African Festival. It, it had music, it had culture, it had movies. So he would be featuring some of his work there and he would be covering, you know, aspects of, you know, various artists who are coming over there. So um, he's based in Cape Town. And um, we met recently and he was telling me that he's doing movies that, um, you know, uh, are about the impact of COVID on communities. And, um, and I thought, wow, Don, this is interesting. So he said one of them is um, about uh, funerals and, and how funerals have been impacted and how then mm-hmm. African culture has been impacted. He'll speak yeah. to it, to, it uh, to you himself. One was about doing um, a, a, a film about um, um, you know learners and, and, and how they are having to cope with, with the COVID situation. And I mean, he's done a number of award-winning, um, uh, you know, films. He's done one by Brahu Musakela, a whole series about his life, uh, documenting his life. So I mean, he's I mean, Don is the guy if you want documentary movie making. Yeah, movies yeah. with a story. Then Don is the guy. Don is the guy. Don, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, Don. Don, are you there? I'm there. I'm Hi. hearing you. Good. Can you hear me? And we can hear you loud and clear. Thank you. What Luanda didn't say was that uh, we got to meet Anjali Kiju in Würzburg at the Africa Festival a number of times, <laughs> and that was a great experience. And That's she was also part of the film we made about uh, Marie Makeba called Mama Africa. Yeah, that's right. Because Anjali Kidge really also takes over that mantle that uh, that Marie Makeba passed over to so many wonderful African female musicians. Brilliant. And so, Don, the big question to you is for 10 points, what is the song that she covered of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I'm going to have to pass, I'm afraid. That one is beyond my knowledge. Okay, so I'll tell you what it is. It's Voodoo Child. Voodoo, Voodoo Child, of wow. course. Uh, Let me oh, make the same the album. Child. It's such a great Michelle, version. Yes. It's in the same album that I chose, Oremi. <laughs> and Voodoo Child is in there. 
it was one of the two songs I wanted to choose. We, it's amazing, you know, our brains just sometimes move in different directions. <laughs> Don, well done, Michelle. Let's talk to let's talk to this. Uh, uh, you know what Leander's talking about, and it's it's a hell of a thing. What COVID yeah, what mean, COVID has done for us or done to us, and what it's done uh, in terms of community. And I, I'm I'm raising this because I know in your book, Leander, you you mentioned the idea, and I was mentioned it yesterday as well. How we cannot be talking about um, social distancing, but rather physical distancing, because they're two very different concepts, and what that, wh- how that plays out then in our world at the moment. Don, maybe you can take take the idea further. I mean, I, you know what what this massive disruption has created by the pandemic in our society has also created opportunities. And one of those opportunities is to look at what change needs to happen in South African society. And so when the lockdown happened and I thought, well, what are we going to do about this? And we came up with this idea of a collection of films that we've called Nzanzi in the time of COVID-19 was to look at, yeah, some of these things that really require change because the pandemic highlights so much of it and one of the biggest things obviously is inequality inequality yep people who have access to resources and people who don't have access to resources i mean you see the number of homeless people in cape town has you know enlarged so much and it's just created more inequalities and i think what we all have to do is to see well what can we do to make those changes that are required so that we have less of the um of these types of things that our society suffers under. And so the films that we came up with were to look at different aspects of people's lived experiences under COVID-19. So, you know, I'm trying to remember who it was we interviewed a while back who was talking about the concept of normal and saying that, you know, many people have been going, I just want to go back to normal. But the problem is what we have and what we had and what we have now is not normal. So even the country before COVID was not normal. The level of inequality, the level of po- poverty, you know, the level of gender violence, that is not normal. It might be normal for us, but it's not normal. And I'm listening to you, Don, what are some of the conversations that we can have going forward? And maybe to take that a step further with uh, you, uh, Luyanda, as well, is to look at the idea of how could this be taken into different ways in terms of building new societies, even through architecture. But we'll start with you, Don. I think it's about trying to find new ways of public-private um, partnerships yeah. where, where you can make interventions in society that have effects, um, such as one of the films that was made by a young staff member at our organization called Castorina Jola called School Shutdown yeah. about a matriculant in Orange Farm where she comes from yeah. and how just her this matriculant's resilience um, to be able to continue learning but having almost no access to internet, having no access to the technology that required for online learning that many children... Um, of well or families just have by natural use how how young people can actually forge their way through society, but 
at the same time, they can't do it on their own. They need support. They need help. And this little film just really shows that this is something that affects so many learners across the country. And that's something that can change. And we are able to make those kind of changes. Luanda, do you think uh, that there are ways of changing now is the time to shift and change, as Don says? Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, working with with the communities I work with, um, I've experienced firsthand the impact of, you know, the the dense, unhygienic and unsafe uh, informal settlements, um, how this has been impacted by by COVID and how we, we, we continue talking about social distancing and 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 you know being able to wash our hands and you go to yeah. the informal settlements um and and you find that actually you can't social distance there. um the, the the shacks themselves are one meter away from each other so so i mean how are you going to social distance in fact you actually realize during the lockdown that as people were being you know you know forced to to be inside and and I mean we we send soldiers to do this, hmm. but actually it would have been healthier for them to be outside where there is fresh air. Absolutely. And 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 these are some of the the, the complexities of this. So we, we need a new spatial dispensation that actually realizes that we need to change the whole concept of how we build, and we have to do it with urgency when it comes to to, to these areas. We need a new digital dispensation. I mean, I'm going to be practical about this. Um, my kids go to a school in, 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 in the southern suburbs, in, 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 in the Claremont area, um, around the bush. And when COVID hit, the school did an amazing thing and did a survey and checked who, which kids have Wi-Fi at home and who don't, and out yeah. of that, we're able to raise funds to be able to supply data to the kids who don't have. Now, imagine the kids in the township who don't even have that facility. Yeah. Why is there no, um, you know, digital and network connectivity that is free or that is accessible to the people in the townships and in the informal settlements? Because most of the kids, even those who come to these former model schools like you know, the schools in the southern suburbs, they come from the townships. When they go home, they don't have the luxury of, of a Luanda who's got Wi-Fi at home. And, and a second computer or even a first computer to get onto you know, Wi-Fi. So, so, yeah. so, so we have to think about these things because, you know, it, 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 it is well and good to say that, yes, um, we are doing COVID recovery and all these things, but what are we actually doing? Are we changing you know, these concepts that with the, the informal settlements and the townships are kind of the hinterland. We shouldn't even look there and just be concerned about, you know, good schools and all these things. And yet we are living in an ecosystem of interrelated uh, kind of, you know, um, uh, connectivity and, and, and social relations. And, and we have to be real about it. And, and, and if you didn't have the parents that were able to, and, and, and talking about uh, private-public partnerships, I mean, we found a service provider who was then able to distribute the data to the children and, and manage it, and, and they were given a certain amount of data at yeah. the time. Um, and, and these are things that need some kind of 
you know, collaboration and partnerships to make it work. So but let's, now think let's of talk, um, Luyanda, let's talk, let's get your second guest on the line, Professor Nomfundo Luswazi, who is uh, the from the Faculty of Agriculture and Rural Development at Walter Sisulu University. The prof has had some challenges with uh, load shedding, power down, so she's not able to, hasn't been able to participate in listening to the interview from earlier on. But prof, thank you so much for joining us as well. Oh, hello, prof. So, prof, you're there. Okay, no, we, we, we've lost the prof, so I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest we rather go back, we leave her and we just go back to Don and yourself because we've literally got... Hello? Okay, prof, you're on the line. I'm on the line, but uh, I, I don't hear you clearly. Can you raise your voice, please? I am I'm, I'm feel like I'm... I am, no, I am. We let's try and see if we can get that line a bit better because that's going to be that will be a problem. I mean, I think I'm uh, shouting as much as I can. Sorry about that, um, Leander. What I was was interested with, and I think that this goes to Don as well, and I was wanted to talk to the prof with it as well. Is this idea of um, triangulation, and that triangulation is obviously the public sector, the private sector, and also the um, civil society, the third sector and how one can engage in those partnerships. But there's something more personal as well. And what about that triangulation of individuals? So here you have Don, who's doing this incredible work telling stories. Here you have you, who is uh, telling a slightly different story, but it's a story about communities and how they live. How do you and your individual friends, but also um, uh, colleagues on so many levels work together to make a difference and how do we think about that moving forward i don't know if don wants to take that but from my perspective this is one of the weaknesses of of the south african situation as i experienced it um in that we do not talk we do not share Dialogue is, 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 is managed, and, and the only dialogue that really matters to people is one that is political, where people are trying to, to find ways of how best to derive um, you know, opportunity from the political dispensation. But, but we are not talking enough about solutions. Yeah. Um, and we're not talking enough about with civil society. That's my experience. And, and I think until we change that, um, uh, what you say, Michelle, is not is not going to happen because everybody is guarded and is protecting their turf, um, and and we are not willing to come out of that comfort zone and deal with the difficult issues, and and yeah. and in the context of 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 architecture and and urban design and urban planning, and actually ask when we are delivering housing for the poor, who are we talking to? Yep. Who who is this? Who are these people? Who is this person? Engage with them. Yeah. Engage with them. We don't. So yeah. I think that this is our serious weakness. We all are masters in our profession, but we're not masters across of what we don't know and what we don't like. And mm-hmm. and, and until we change that, yeah. we, we are not going to be able to get out of our minds and, and actually embrace the other. And, and, and issues of identity then come there because you are afraid of getting out of your comfort zone. So for me, it's, it, it's something we need to it's work like on fear. as a society and as a people. 
kind of like about fear and maybe a level of greed as well. Don, how would you respond to that question very briefly? Yeah, let me jump in there, Michelle. Um, a big part of our work is not just making the films, but getting the films to the audiences. Yeah. And we have um, started a number of mobile cinemas around Southern Africa and where we take the films into communities and we train young people from organizations, partner organizations, to lead dialogues, to lead facilitated discussions. So the films are stories, yes, but they are there to get people to think about their own situations and what kind of actions that they can take to create change. Sure. So dialogue, using film as a, as a tool to get societies, communities to discuss like really difficult issues that they're facing around sexual identity, living with albinism, um, access to resources, uh, all these types of, uh, of issues that people are facing. The film, films are a really huge tool to allow people to start discussing that. But to get these young people to lead these discussions is really a very important part of the process. So it's around creating dialogue up having the opportunities to get people to talk about these issues and the films allow them to really think about that. So, yes, getting people to talk, discuss, and come up with their own solutions um, is a way that you can really use documentary film very productively. In closing, Luyanda, your co-author of the book Get Out of Your Mind writes something about change, and, and I'll quote it, change is not a value in itself. And I'd love you to close off. Like, how do you think change becomes an action as opposed to simply a value? I think that, um, I mean, Klaus was uh, an, an amazing person who actually mentored me in even writing the book. <clears throat> um, he, he, he actually says that, um, you know, the world is facing a, a period of uncertainty. And, 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 you know, change becomes a medium through which we can perhaps future proof hmm. that uncertainty and, and, and make sure that we do the things that will help us navigate through it. So um so you, you can't just say change in itself is a value, but you need to put in the mechanisms, the tools, and dialogue is one of them, and reaching out to the other is one of them, and making sure that we we, we embrace the, 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 the differences that we have and try and derive something good so that whatever we do as we change and transform is not leaving anybody behind. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if, if we don't have that or we don't take that chance now with the COVID situation, which has really laid bare the fragility of society, yeah. um, we, we will not be able to master the future. Dr. Luyanda Mpahloe, thank you so much for joining us. It's time for us to get out of us, out of here. KG's next. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.